Welcome home. This is Audio XP for the 14th of December 2019, and the title of this episode is Sleeping Giants and Flame Wars. Phew. We made it through Friday the 13th, although it wasn't pleasant for some of us. I'm glad that you did, and you were here. Let's stick with curses and all things spooky as we open this Geek Native Highlights podcast. Let's talk about the Night of the Living Dead. Simon, once known as Cool Minis or Not, and now a board game powerhouse, has a zombie-side-powered Night of the Living Dead game on Kickstarter. You'll have to be quick if you want to back it, though. It went live only a few days ago, and it only has a few days left to live. Why the short campaign? I can't say, but they've raised more than a quarter of a million. So the tactics worked. Did you know that The Night of the Living Dead is both the film credited with establishing the modern image of a zombie, and a film which never once used the word zombie? Okay, I think many people knew that. But I didn't know about the copyright drama around the film. And an update on the Kickstarter talks all about it. The original film is out of copyright. In fact, it was never in copyright due to an error. It's a public domain film. What happened? Well, originally the film was to be called Night of Anubis. And when they rebranded it to Night of the Living Dead, they forgot to put the copyright notice directly onto the film prints. Back then, failure to do so meant the film was not protected. Does that mean you can go ahead and use it? Nope. In 2016, Museum of Modern Art decided the film was important enough to preserve. That restoration project, done with artists working in each frame, effectively created a new version, and that's in copyright. Also, and here's the kicker, a company called Image10 controls the rights to the images and likenesses of the main cast, so you can't go ahead and use them. If you want the full story, you'll find the link in the show notes or in the Geek Native transcript on the blog. This week, we also saw Ghostbusters come back from the dead in a trailer for Afterlife. I think it's great. It's very hard not to get Stranger Things vibes from it. In part, that's because Film Wolfhard, an actor who plays one of the Stranger Things kids, has a dominant role in the trailer. Also because we're dealing with the mysterious and spooky going on in an otherwise sleepy town. I don't think this is a bad thing. It would be pretty hard to watch a kids investigate the unnatural movie without inviting comparisons with Stranger Things. All the Ghostbusters team have done is go with the flow. I'm looking forward to the movie. As with last week, we had a host of great looking trailers, some of which Geek Native covered, some which escaped me. If there are any you'd recommend, then please let us know over on the blog. There's one more trailer that's worth talking about, and that's Dark Alliance. Wizards of the Coast have a new D&D computer game coming out. If you listened to Audio XP a few weeks back, you might remember the news of Wizards of the Coast buying a computer game company called Tuk or Tuk or TuQ. I dare say I'll find out how to pronounce it in due time. Anyway, this is Tuk's game. The trailer is pretty hardcore. It's accompanied by heavy metal, and much of it is shot as if somebody has stuck a GoPro on the end of their sword and then charged into a melee. Dungeons & Dragons Dark Alliance is also the first computer game to have Drizzt and his companions as the main headline characters. It's a multiplayer action game, and I suspect it will have a very different feel to Baldur's Gate 3, which is also due out next year. If I had to pick between the two, 
having played neither, it's still an easy choice. I'm going to go with Baldur's Gate 3, as I much prefer the in-your-own-time RPG vibe of that, rather than the find-a-friend-and-perfect-your-button combos of Dark Alliance. I, look, I'm making assumptions here, I know, of course. I suspect that in 2020, we'll see lots more of Game Pass-style games coming from say, Google Stadia and Microsoft. It's possible that we'll get both as part of a subscription package, and we won't have to choose. There's another interesting overlap of the worlds of tabletop RPGs and computer tech this week that's made Audio XP's highlights. You can file this one under the Sleeping Giant part of the headlines too. Amazon and Pazio Publishing have teamed up. The result? Starfinder on Alexa. This is a voice game. It also means the idea of playing with professional voice actors has just become far more achievable. In this case, the voice actors are the NPCs you encounter in Scoundrels in the Spike, the name of the adventure, and the Alexa acts as your GM. Okay, I know Alexa and Amazon's technology is not yet good enough to be an actual GM. Not yet. However, this is much an RPG as a computer game is. And given that you'll have to speak out aloud, I imagine it could feel far more immersive too. This is not a one-off project either. Pazio and Amazon have plans for more, albeit pay for audio games. Earlier this year, Riverhorse beat Pazio to the punch and released their own audio RPG on Alexa. It's called Void Warper, and most of it is free to play. In Void Warper, you only need to splash cash when you're travelling to some parts of the game world. I know audio games will not be for everyone, but I'm excited to see where this new evolution of RPG technology takes us. So, let's talk about the other story in the Sleeping Giant category. This week, Osprey Publishing published their first two RPGs. If you've not heard of Osprey before, that's okay. Until this week, they'd been mainly active in board games. They were at the UK Gaming Expo this year, which is where I met them, with their Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell board game laid out for people to try. You see, Osprey are part of the Bloomsbury group of companies, Bloomsbury is the company who has the publishing rights for titles like Harry Potter and Sarah J Maas' Throne of Glass series. That's a huge publisher. I think this puts Osprey higher up the negotiation chain than most other game companies. It's easy to imagine that when securing the rights to a big, or potentially big, new fiction series, Bloomsbury could sweeten the deal by offering to do an RPG for it too. Or, if Bloomsbury felt that the new licence was already on the expensive side, they could now put in a condition that they also get the RPG rights to the title. I talked to Philip Smith, head of Osprey Games, about this. He didn't deny it. Instead, he wanted the company to be known for the quality of the games that they make, not for the doors that Bloomsbury opened for them. That was a good answer. Oh, And Osprey's first two RPGs are both games jumping from the indie PDF to the Osprey physical product style. So there's Scott Malthouse's Romance of the Perilous Lands, which is set in a mythic Britain, and Graham Rose's Paleomythic, which is set in the Stone Age. While we've been talking about Sleeping Giants, let's pick right now as the time to highlight a small and promising indie. The winner of the December RPG Publisher Spotlight here on Geek Native is a company called Mage Hand Press. 
they're just wrapping their Kickstarter project, a D&D in space game called Dark Matter. Go check them out. As usual, I hope to have a full-length feature on Mage Hand Press on the blog before the end of the month. If you're a Geek Native patron, then you can vote on which publisher will win the spotlight placement for January. Pop over to the Patreon to cast that vote. Mage Hand Press has clearly made some right choices, but not all indie publishers do. And we had a mighty row on Twitter this week, as members of the RPG community were misinformed and started to sling mud. It's a bit messy, but I think we might bring some clarity if we dig into the flame war over a game called Police Procedure in this audio EXP. While almost all of their staff were off-site at PAX last week, DriveThruRPG received complaints from customers saying that they had found a game all about beating up innocent people, queer people, and people of colour. DriveThruRPG paused sales on the game and started to investigate. Now, we won't know what the outcome of that investigation would be because events overtook things, but it would have been interesting. See, the premise of police procedure is that cops are corrupt, and that's why the gameplay involved touring around as a bent copper and beating people up. You could argue that this is a satirical game or a political one, and I think you could easily argue that the game doesn't encourage beating up innocents at all, and in fact it's an outcry against it. However, the publisher Transfeelinism made an odd choice. They changed the description of police procedure so that it read as if it was an official statement from DriveThruRPG. That statement said the game had been suspended because it contained hate speech against an oppressed minority, and that minority was the police. Clearly, that's not what had happened. At no point did DriveThruRPG say they considered the police an oppressed minority. Sadly, a screenshot of that and an accompanying blog post about freedom of speech was seeded into Twitter. People thought they had seen evidence that DriveThruRPG was calling the police an oppressed minority. Some people were confused. Some people acted more angrily. In fact, a member of the DriveThruRPG team was doxxed. Their phone number was shared with the public, and they had to suffer a barrage of texts describing them as a fascist and other insults. Meanwhile, according to DriveThruRPG, their systems were then used to make it look as if other transfeelinism games had been banned, and customers were contacted to spread the misinformation. We will never know what DriveThruRPG's moderators would have made of police procedure after taking the time to investigate it, because events simply overtook things. They banned transfeelinism for slander. What a mess. It was good though to see that many people who had tweeted in protest against DriveThruRPG either deleted or updated their tweets when the truth came out. Sometimes it can be hard to admit when you've been tricked. Flame wars help no one though, and so anything you can do to put them out is always the right thing to do. Right. Let's find a batch of more positive news. Ah, here's one. If you need a random village, town, or even a whole city in a hurry for your fantasy RPG, then check out the Donjon Generator. You just have to load a web page. It's free and it's useful. You'll get a basic map, which you can customise with all sorts of options. You'll also get NPCs and interesting locations for people to visit. Over the years... Geek Native has found quite a few resources for generating maps. If Donjon isn't for you, then the related reading links at the bottom of the post may help. 
but I also made sure to point out some alternatives in the intro. You know the drill. Links to the discovery post are in the show notes. Other interesting headlines this week include Green Ronin publishing The Expanse's RPG first official adventure. As it happened, Abzu's bounty is actually six interlinked adventures. That was a pretty popular story in Geek Native this week, and I think that's an indication that The Expanse is still a top-rated sci-fi show. Goodreads released their results of what the top-rated books, including comic books, of the year are. I'm a geek, so I copied all that data into a spreadsheet and then tried to analyse the best geeky reads of 2019. I looked at fantasy, horror and sci-fi books, as well as graphic novels. I can tell you that fantasy had far more votes than any of those other genres, with well over 300,000. Sci-fi got the second spot with over 200,000. Now, according to Goodreads, the top fantasy book of the year is Ninth House by Lee Bardogo. The top sci-fi book is Recursion by Blake Crouch. The top graphic novel is Pumpkinheads by Rainbow Rowell and Faith Erin Hicks. And the top horror story is The Institute by Stephen King. While the horror category got the fewest votes in general, Stephen King's The Institute got far more votes than any other book in the genres I looked at, twice as many. Speaking of genres, there's a new Genre Place article from Ben this week. This time, we're looking at how to build Rome, or at least a Roman-style campaign. However, this Genre Police article is a little different. It suggests that Roman isn't a genre, and that you can use previous Genre Police rules in combination to create a campaign world that feels Roman. So as Genre Police heads towards our 50th article, this one shows you how you can splice them together in different ways to create an even broader scope of games. Second from the last, and in the spirit of games with a broad scope, over on the DM's Guild, a group of gamers called Elder Brain have released Year of the Rogue Dragons. Do you want to play D&D as a dragon? As an evil dragon? This is the Forgotten Realms module for you. Now, lastly, before I sign off for another, another week, let me be a cheeky scamp and point out that N-World are asking for nominations for podcasts. I thought that might interest you. Maybe there's a podcast that you listen to that you could nominate. And on that note, thank you for listening, and we'll catch up soon.